just a second here. Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I've got a really exciting guest uh, who, if you've been following uh, the podcast for a while, I had him on last year, and it's always a pleasure every time I get to talk to Sandy. And uh, I asked Sandy ahead of the interview if there's any questions we could have that uh, he doesn't want to talk about. And he said, uh, we're, we'll answer anything. Anything you have in mind is, uh, is, is a go. So I think that this should be a fun chat uh, to see what Sandy's outlook is for for 2022 what he's seen in the in the last call year and a half two years here uh, and any questions that, that anyone has in mind as well? well we'll take as many questions as we can so if you have something in mind just please put it in the chat there and uh at any point during the interview we'll we'll look to uh to address as many questions as we can so sandy uh welcome thanks again so much for uh, for joining me on the call thanks for having me chad it's uh, a pleasure i had so much fun last time i thought i would Come back for return engagement. I love Thanks it. Thanks for asking. So uh, I want to start with a video and why it all. I'll ask if you can pull that up in just a second here. Uh, this was a guy in the U.S. His name is Jay Scott Sheel. I'd never heard of him before. Uh, I don't know if you had Sandy. No, I Apparently he's he's a popular guy. Uh, he's mostly talking about the U.S. market, but I think that there's some global implications here beyond just the U.S. He was on Fox News talking about what he calls a bloodbath coming for commercial real estate. And and I, you and I chatted uh, before. You make uh, these predictions about an apocalypse. If someone were to make one every year, eventually they're they're probably going to be right. Uh, it's not going to be every year, but if you make it for forty years in a row, sooner or later, you you might be right. But uh, Wyatt, if you could play that video, it's it's about a minute and a half. So just bear with us as we listen to uh, uh, to this guy's comments, and then I, I want to hear your your reaction to it uh, after Sandy. Uh, if you could pull that up, Wyatt. Sure. Heal. We're not getting any audio on that, Wyatt. It's not coming through there. He's got a boring tie. Yeah, the wardrobe wasn't uh, making him look to be too outgoing there. The pink and the blue is a better fit. I looked into into him a little bit after I saw this interview, and he, he had like 100,000 followers or subscribers or whatever it's called on instagram so apparently he's he's, he's a pretty well-known guy uh, in the states and uh he owns owns a bunch of property himself so he's not just a talking head of, of like a guy that would normally be on the news blabbering on about uh nothing he apparently has a pretty decent portfolio uh chad I'll, I'll i'll make it work and uh and i'll let you know when it when it's working okay okay so we'll we'll pull that up once we can get the uh, the audio story out. But the the gist of his comments is that he's he thinks that a number of the property owners over the past couple of years here uh, have either had subsidies or they were able to defer payments or whatever they had to do to keep afloat. And he thinks a lot of these properties could conceivably be going into foreclosure at some point here in the next year and he thinks that banks are going to have to take on all this property when they get it back which not only creates a problem for them but it also creates a problem that they won't have liquidity to go out and lend to other people that, to get new loans so he was he he actually said there's it's going to be a bloodbath 
in the commercial real estate market. So I, I, I wanted to use that video to lead in to get your comments on what you're seeing over over this past year and what you expect coming into 2022 as well. And Sandy, just before you answer that, I, I'll, I'll play this video, okay? Thank you. Nobody has reported on these for 18 months. We have 18 months. We're almost there. Okay. The anticipation is, uh, well, is incredible. What we're dealing with is a lot of pent-up forces that are all coming into play right now. Uh, the Central Business District office has been devastated by stay-at-home pandemic restrictions. Um, you know, all of the disruption that we've seen there has caused all of those assets to really be in non-covenant compliance. Same thing with Class A retail that didn't get absorbed in the last uh, cycle. And then certainly all of your hospitality has been uh, devastated throughout this um, pandemic and over the course of the last couple of years. That in and of itself is going to cause massive defaults. Um, the good news is, is that there's opportunities for these things to turn around for investors, but the bad news is that through the Troubled Asset Deferral Program, which is part of the CARES Act, nobody's reported on these for 18 months. So we have 18 months of defaults that are all going to start hitting now. That happened, that program terminated as of January 1st, 2022, and they've got 60 days to report it. So by the second quarter of this year, uh, those things are going to start to come out and banks are going to have to deal with that. So that's going to be a huge crisis in and of itself. And then obviously we know that the banks, when they start to take on defaulted assets, they're not really in a position to make loans. And so, so many of those assets that did stabilize, uh, but have now been hurt are gonna be hamstrung by their balance sheets because three years historic operating statements won't really be there to support new debt. With values plummeting, there's gonna be a lot of blood in the streets and a lot of folks who are going to be looking for safe haven. Wow. So what do you uh, what do you think on on that guy's uh, comments there? Well, it, it bodes well for decisions that we've made uh, this week. Uh, we were renewing a loan, and I was looking at it was out May uh, was it was due, and I said, what do we have due in June and July? And so we decided that we would put another ten million up finance one and pay off the other because as a hedge, we wanna have some dry powder that we can finance anytime. We can always put 50, 60% on that asset and go out and look for these opportunities. I don't see them coming. There's so much dry powder on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. For every package and portfolio that we see sell across the country, there's 10 or 15 bidders that are within 10 basis points of the winning bidder. And so 10 or 15 people didn't get the asset. Uh, he's, he's talking about maybe smaller banks. I don't know if there is this terrible uh, tsunami of defaults uh, that will impact everyone's market, including ours. But I just don't see it. And I, I don't think that I'll still be doing this when that happens. What are some of the, you would have went through the 2008, 2009 yes. credit crunch. Do any other ones come to mind where, where you actually did see a reverse in the market? 
that's the only one uh, because they, the lenders got shy. All of a mm -hmm. sudden, they needed uh, appraisals that showed a ten cap. So, uh, so people, so people got them. But I said I can't buy anything at this at these cap rates. So, you know, what what are we talking about? In 08, 09, there was a lot of lenders that were thinly capitalized. All the trust companies, the SNLs, they all went broke. Uh, but now everything has been consolidated to in my view too few hands and there's a lot of there's a lot of equity out there and there's a lot of debt out there too and they get shy for a month or two when they hear something but then they're right back at it so we're having no problem facing uh ourselves to get debt uh we don't use a lot of debt but we renew debt mm -hmm. and uh when we have uh our partnerships and uh, i think i told you last time we're including uh, all the people that work here and opportunities to get equity. Uh, we finance those buildings certainly because they're not, they can't be all cash players. Uh, uh, we provide uh, debt for those, but we're having no problem at all and, and at good rates. And you see that continuing that huge amount I'll of demand for good quality product and the ability yes. to finance. Yeah, and anything new, uh, by by just saying it, it's it's better quality. Mm -hmm. You know, it's higher ceilings, it's more dock doors, it's uh, uh, more truck courts. By the very nature of building new, you don't build new old style buildings. And once again, uh, on the infill stuff or the close in stuff, again, you know, to build new apartments, most places you got to go out. And it seems to me the trend of coming towards the center of the city, but not necessarily the CBD, is going to continue for the next generation. Mm -hmm. Because they're already back at it. Uh, in Toronto, uh, we started off a little slow on a lease up of a, of a tower. We had 50 or 60 suites rented when I visited. And all of a sudden it's full and there's a waiting list. Well, and uh, it, it isn't in the CBD, it's in Toronto and it's just uh, near a subway station. So people, uh, people want to get at it. I think the, the CBD and the office story is it's going to bifurcate. I think young people are chomping at the bit to get downtown and back into their offices. And I think the older folks where we, I think it's counterintuitive. I think the older folks are less likely to want to go back. Hmm. I myself, I, I don't do as many property tours as I used to for some reason. And uh, there's no COVID concerns when I'm in the car alone. <laughs> you know, I haven't been out to see the warehousing in the east side of Winnipeg. And uh, I would say before COVID, I would have been out 10 times. So you can get lethargic, you can get de COVID depression, but I think the the younger generation will lead us out of it. Do you see that reflecting in, in the office market right now? Do you see companies that are wanting to commit to office space, whether it's for the foreseeable future or just do a bit of a bridge lease until they have well, a better certainty of this? 
We are uh, representing a tenant that's going to be about 40,000 plus square feet, an engineering company. So, you, you know, in, your intuition would be that they wouldn't want to be right downtown when leaving and checking out projects. Uh, they want to stay downtown. They're downtown now. Uh, they're looking for space. And, uh, and they want everyone back in the office. I was talking to a lending group uh, I had a call this morning. They're getting into the office uh, next month. I, I, I think it's going to be a mixed bag. And I think that there will be some fallout. I, I can't be the ones that say, oh, we're going to need so much more office space because we're putting everyone six feet apart. I, I, don't, I don't buy that. If that is still the concern, and it may be, we'll be keeping them at home. You know, everybody now has monitors and keyboards and cameras and they're happy to work from home. So if, if there's a, a concern, a health concern, a pandemic concern, we already know how to go, go home. And it seems to work pretty good for most companies. I argue it doesn't, it doesn't uh, augur well for training, uh, for people growing their careers to be in your basement uh, but it's been working. It's working here. Mm -hmm. People come, people go. We're back in the office, though, as a rule. What's your outlook? On, and I, I do want to talk about other asset classes as well, but what's your outlook on office? I think that that's, that's still got the most risk outside of the, the biggest cities. You mm -hmm. know, Toronto, Vancouver, uh, I think that there's a, they have enough population downtown, enough employment downtown, enough of a vibe downtown that th they will come back uh, sooner than Winnipeg or any of the other cities without someone priming the pump, you know, mm -hmm. without some government intervention that I haven't considered. So what does that market look like from an investment standpoint? Or how, how does an investor underwrite an office deal right now? Well, I think they underwrite them by the pound. I know we do. <laughs> so, uh, you know, how much is it a foot? And then when you, when you figure out the replacement cost, now you're talking about a fraction of. And I think you have to go beyond that. If there's good improvements in the space... Not that they'll be useful for anybody else, as you know, office, it's always, they don't, the next person doesn't want it. But I think an improved building, uh, the worst case scenario is you don't lose your money. That's you the know, worst whether, case scenario. Whether or not you're going to win as much as you would like to, and historically people have won this so much on uh, downtown office property. I don't think they're likely to get hurt. Yeah, and I guess closely related to that would be retail. And I know you guys have been active yes. uh, in developing and working with, with tenants in that retail space. What what are you seeing right now with uh, the appetite for tenants to take on space and investors to chase that type of asset? Well, uh, I'll, I'll start with uh, your last question. Investors chasing that asset Oh my God, we bid, we bid 5.4 uh, cap hmm. on a couple of retail assets that were 
owner occupied, uh, the tenant profile wasn't that great. Some of the space was below grade. Some of the a third of the GLL on one of the buildings was below grade. And we thought that we were really reaching. Uh, but it sold for more to a local investor. And uh, we, we can't say you're wrong. He's got it. Uh, he probably put 3% debt on it. He's getting a 7% return. I don't see him losing his money. Presumably he's got 35% equity. I don't see him losing his money. So I'm not sure that it's going to come back on the market. It's certainly in a foreclosure. Mm -hmm. So investors are, are really chasing everything that's, that's quality. And as far as tenants go, well, we had ideas of if this tenant doesn't work out, we have that tenant. Uh, our retail leasing activity uh, of the group here is certainly more robust than it was in 2019. You, last time we talked, you had a an industrial development in progress. I believe right. you had 40,000 feet that you had leased out, and then you were going to do an additional 100,000 in spec. Yeah, is that the, first, the first spec building is uh, a 56 or 58,000 feet, and we're moving towards building that, but the supply uh, chain issues on the steel, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, but Alex uh, Ackman is forging ahead with the uh development of that building the next building is um either either it's going to be a hundred thousand feet plus or sixty thousand feet plus it depends what the appetite is for tenancies which one we do next uh but the first one is all leased up to uh triple a national tenants really they, they develop nice space and uh uh, we're quite proud of how it looked. Those ones are 28 clear. Uh, here we don't have a lot of appetite for the high cube yet. Uh, we're holding our powder dry by building only 58,000 feet because we could certainly go to 36 next. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, we've had no call for it. Sometimes people take it if it's there. Uh, but we haven't seen the premium paid for it yet in the Winnipeg market. So it's not worth building that extra space if no one's going to pay extra for it, then you're just, you're no. diluting your yield. Yes. That's the way we feel. So how are you, how are you building that, that 56,000 square foot one? What's, what's the layout on that one? Uh, it's going to be uh, 140 deep. Um, it's going to be three walls of concrete. And uh, then the uh, insulated panel on the front, elevation, but uh, concrete along the bottom. Uh, very good roof. Uh, we can put doors anywhere. We're building it so we have the depressed grade beam where if it's a grade beam, uh, grade door today, it can be a loading door tomorrow. Hmm. Uh, we're really investing for a long life cycle and long ownership and thinking about what tenants may need in the future because it might not be the tenants that you put in today yeah that, that's a great point on, on so on that topic so uh, just explain that to me a, a, again the beam for the dock door is is at grade level well, no so that's the, the, the grade doors have a punch out in the grade beam 
so we can turn the, all the grade doors into dock doors. Are they all grade right now? No, no, there's a mixture. It's a mixture. What yeah. What is the mixture? How, how have you figured out what the, the optimal We're about that is? 65, 60 to 65% dock doors. And then the rest just being oversized grade doors. Oversized grade doors. Uh, and But in a, in a minute, that can be a dock door. What's the cost when you design it that way versus had you not designed it that way to convert it to a dock? We think that uh, there's a cost of about $2.90 a square foot overall for the building. But we just feel a lot more comfortable that anything can come and anything can go. You know, mm -hmm. you have great tenants today, but they're bought out by somebody else tomorrow with a bigger warehouse someplace else, and they don't need it. And we want the ability to be able to subdivide it uh, down to small bays if we have to, for not. Uh, but uh, I think the, the bays on this one are 4,500 feet or so. The last one we built, we built 3,600 foot bays. Hmm. And of course, uh, we only have two tenants in the space. It's, it's two tenants took the whole space. So you just had to put up one demising wall? Right, yep. right. What's the column grid on those? 40. 40? Yes. Are you getting any feedback on that? Is that is that too narrow for people to put in the racking that they want? Or is that just a, a common? Uh, uh, it, that is in the existing building. I believe we're at 50, 50 or 54 in the new building. Mm -hmm. uh, but we've never had any comments on the racking. All mm -hmm. the people that have gone through these buildings. Uh, the tenants that you reported <laughs> there might be something in the suggestion box that nobody's uh, opened up to to see yeah i'll be looking what was what was the decision to do the 40 was that just so that you could demise the bays down smaller if need yeah, be? yeah and we weren't deep in that building i think we were uh 140 uh deep so it it, it lent itself to to those base sizes no 120 deep we 120. did 120 yeah. deep on the first building and what type of tenants went in there? Uh, a medical distribution use took, uh, I don't know, over 30,000 feet of it. And uh, uh, a metal manufacturer, a decorative metal manufacturer, hmm. who uh, long-standing tenant, uh, at least the, the, the rest of it. And they were the first tenant in. They didn't take enough space. So we'll be talking to them about the new building. Well, that's that's a natural tenant to uh, to try and move over. Yeah, they found that they were cold inside because they have the door open all the time because they're moving stuff in and out from outside from the compound. <coughs> really, in looking at their operations, that should come inside. So for, I, that's a great point I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, because quite often you see these big distribution buildings which only have dock loading or perhaps there's a single grade door, but the the metal manufacturers, I'm guessing that they've got product that they need to bring in a, gra a grade level all the time, like back and forth. I think that I haven't seen them use the dock door yet. I mean, I know yeah. they do when they get tractor trailers uh, of, of, of product. But I've only seen them going in and out of the grade doors. So mm -hmm. uh, that's observational. And as I said, I don't get around much anymore. So when I'm out there, that's what I see. 
but but that, that's such a great point though because if that building only had dock doors they just wouldn't be conducive for them uh whereas otherwise you've got a you've got a good strong tenant in there because of that design feature on there yes. particularly since you can retrofit it to more uh dock doors down the road as well yes and we like to do great doors at the end of the building you mm -hmm. know so for truck movements and things like that uh we, we prefer not to we give everyone a big great door at the end whether they need it or not uh, so let's explore that a little bit more because I think that there's a lot of insight in there. Uh, going back to your earlier comment that a new building, by definition, is more modern than an older building. What what are you seeing? How would you juxtapose a new modern industrial building versus that older stock, call it like a 1980s vintage building? Well, the, the one thing that the 1980s vintage buildings, if they don't have too high a site coverage you know they haven't allowed for mm -hmm. truck courts and truck parking but assuming they have that they're almost always better located that's very true and uh sometimes people you know if they need to get labor that can be you know if they're if it's just a distribution building access to the highways and access to the rail and not too many people inside well, they can move further out, and they indeed have been. And the buildings that they're leaving behind are, in fact, uh, in the older areas. But uh, there's a lot of old stock near our airport. It always leases up. You know, it's uh, sometimes challenging space, challenging ceiling heights, and, and loading is the big thing. But if you can create loading uh, and truck courts, I, I, uh, we don't shy away from the old small base space. I noticed Epic just picked up 700,000 feet in the GTA of older small base stuff, 16, mm -hmm. 18 feet, and it leases. Well, yeah, like you said, that last mile delivery, if, if companies do want to be as close in proximity to the to the end user that's actually getting it, you need to consider that older industrial stock. So uh, yeah, I, I think that's actually fascinating about the industrial market is that the new stuff is is attractive for that flight to quality. But if you wanna be close to, to the customer base, you pretty much have to still consider that older stock. So I, I think that's why industrial is doing so well right now. Yeah, and, and also uh, access to labor. Uh, yeah, Amazon did two deals in Winnipeg, both in a, existing older buildings quite quite old as a matter of fact but I, I don't know what they're thinking but they need access to delivery people and access to the to the market and that's what they're doing we have a a question there uh why do we use uh, great doors at the end unless it's specific build to build to suit where somebody just needs a raft of of dock doors uh, then of course we'll put them We'll put dock doors on the end. We'll wrap them around the corner. We'll put them on the side. We'll put them anywhere that they want them. But it helps for truck movements, not to have the movements of uh, people having to back into the docks right at the end of the building. It also saves the building in our experience. Yeah, uh, so we're long-term holders. Uh, yes, you can put concrete uh, and steel uh, bullards, uh, but the truckers don't want to run into them either. Uh, as much as you don't want them to run into them, they don't want them to run into them either. And so we find that the buildings perform better that way. And since all of them are spec, uh, people haven't had a problem with 
having their grade access at the end of their space. Yeah, I, and I think that that's probably the most common scenario is where you do see those grade doors at the end for those yeah. for those reasons. I, I, to your earlier point on the proximity to labor, it's just an observation I've had over my career, but I've, I've noticed that people underestimate the value of being close to your labor base and they overestimate the value of exposure. Uh, and it, it, whether, that, whether that's a, an industrial company or even just a retailer, people always put so much value on, on the exposure that they have to a main road. But I've found, and I've, I've used an example in my market, I'll, I'll say to somebody, what business is on the corner of X and Y, X Street and Y Avenue? And they'll think about it and they're like, I have no idea. I mean, how many times have you driven on that road? And they're well, driven on that road countless times. Uh, and and I use that as an example that people usually put too much of a premium or, or they're willing to pay too much of a premium to have exposure, but they underestimate the value of having your your staff, particularly people that don't drive. Uh, and if you're a manufacturer or wholesaler and you're relying on minimum wage or just above minim, minimum wage employment, a lot of these people are going to be looking for a job that they can get to quickly. So I, I, I love the, the emphasis that you put on there about being close to labor. I, I think that is a very underrated element of industrial real estate. And we've done that for uh, certain companies. We said, all right, give us, uh, give us uh, an email form. Uh, give us the addresses of your employees. We don't need the names, but we'll plot them on a map. You might want to th think twice about moving to the south end when all your people live in the north end. Mm -hmm. and, and labor being such a hard input to uh, to get. So you, you might want to think about that. Well, and there's a great transition too on, on labor because I, labor is driving a, a lot of the discussion right now for companies trying to find labor. It's uh, construction is a huge problem right now. A couple of projects we have underway are significantly delayed or way over budget just because of the companies that, that we're talking to say that they can't get manpower. So what, what are you seeing right now? Like how big of an Here's issue is this labor? At one time, people went to the jobs. Alberta, you know, Alberta emptying out Saskatchewan and Manitoba and Newfoundland and all of these things. When people wanted to work, they could go to that resource economy and they could move to the jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, now, jobs go to the people. So that's why we're seeing great growth in secondary markets where they have lower cost uh, for housing, where it's an easier uh, lifestyle. And so we're seeing all these, I, would, I wouldn't call them secondary markets, more tertiary markets. Uh, we just got a, a, a brochure on a building on 64 acres, and I, and I wanted to have a look at it. And it's 17,000 feet, and the rest is pasture. But that's where the labor is in this small town near San Antonio. And uh, and that's where this company wants to be because that's where the people can weld. I don't so, know. So what does that mean uh, going forward? Like, are you guys seeing like this craziness in construction pricing and delays right now? Yes, most of it is is margin and people taking advantage of it. I mean, they, they have to hope that this runs for a while because... Uh, the customer is not being treated, at least in the markets that we're in, 
as they should be. Uh, you know, lower cost of construction, certainly in Toronto and Ottawa than Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Now, what can that mean? You know, there isn't uh, enough trades, there isn't enough immigration. And, but everyone takes their number of the, uh, of who, of who did it to them, who took advantage of them. But there are people taking advantage of, of the customer. And it's sad. Uh, we've had to take it in margin because uh, the market doesn't pay another two dollars a foot because you had to, you didn't have your choice of roofers. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like for the rest of the year? Do you see this? What's see your car- general thoughts on twenty twenty two? I see it carrying on. Yeah, uh, we do more in house. We 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 become the prime consultant. Uh, you know the the bigger trades we're dealing with, and we try and make a neater package so that people don't have to guess uh how much to charge what do you ex- what do you expect for do you think that that translates into just inflation uh other market pressures what's what's your outlook for 2022 i i still see a bit of construction inflation because i just don't see it stopping i don't see it stopping yet and uh that that's a that's a problem uh it, it is obviously adding to the inflation but the people who have their have control of the inflation are only exacerbating it they're putting more taxes on they're putting carbon taxes on uh they're not uh looking at at fixing the inflation i don't see i don't see any of these governments doing that the more regulation thing- you know uh, I think it's going to add quite a bit of inflationary effect. So if we see that inflationary pressure on new construction, that's going to have to lead to some inflationary pressure on the existing inventory as well. Yeah, it'll drag it up. It always happens when big developers come from bigger centers, they know the prices that they get. So I, I likened it to when smart centers came to Winnipeg. Well, they were charging the Royal Bank $60 a foot for pads. Do you think because they came to Winnipeg and bought the land for half price that they gave them half price for the pads? No. And they brought up all the rents around them. And it was good for uh, for people with inventory in the marketplace. And, and how easily does that increase in the asset values translate into increases in rent or what point do companies just have a natural ceiling on what they're willing to pay and then you've got a you've got an imbalance well the 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 ceiling is is come about in a different way it's they don't think that they need 40 locations in a city or 20 locations they find that with one less two less five less they can do it Mm -hmm. and of course we come in we always come against the labor you know, can you get five good managers for your electronic stores? But once you get to the sixth and the seventh and the eighth, are you are you really fishing? Hmm. You know, is somebody who can run the businesses for you since these are are obviously chains. Uh, I I think that there it is going to bring up the cost of uh, or the value of existing assets for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that it'll be in the same percentage, but it doesn't need to be in the same percentage. 
And the one thing about an existing uh, asset is it's there and you know what you have to do to it. Uh, we would like to buy more existing assets, but again, uh, you know, if the cap rates are going to be in the fours and we're talking about junky industrial in this case, well, then we better let some other dentist have it. <laughs> so how, how are you evaluating that then? Like, are you, are you looking same, same approach from office? Are you looking at what's the per square foot price first and then we're backing it out from there? Uh, I, we, it's certainly one of the first, second or third things we look at. Uh, we're not currently looking at any office. Mm -hmm. uh, we have enough office and uh, in risk mitigation, uh, if, it, if, it, if it booms, then we have some. If it, uh, if it busts, we won't get hurt. And on industrial, same investment right. metrics on how you go same. through it? Yeah, and, and we have to be a manufacturer to get the quality, to get the, uh, the problem with the industrial here, it's like the old industrial uh, in Edmonton, uh, the site coverage was too high. Mm -hmm. The site coverage was just too high. And in order to right size that, the only way to do it is to build new. And we're fortunate that we are on both sides of the city and building new and it's, it's been going okay. Would you still look at old? industrial yes, stock i still would it just doesn't that, seem to come up enough is that site coverage the walk me through how you would look at a, an old property is that well you, you look at the potential the to, first potential to demolish hmm. a part of it first of all to increase or to lower the site coverage ratio right right uh that's the first thing because if you find that the roof is shot uh etc and you're going to put a new roof on yes anyway then you really have to consider you know is the measurement of this building the right size um uh, the quality of construction certainly uh it isn't hard to find excellent quality but there is some others too and the need for the tenants that are in there and the need for tenants that you can put in there if, if we think of there's a market for our location, we're not afraid to buy old. I mean, we, we don't buy any old loft buildings. Mm -hmm. uh, those are all mostly getting converted to residential uses anyway. But I, I don't know if you know this, but Winnipeg has the greatest collection of Chicago loft architecture in the world. Really? I didn't know that. Many architects that uh, operated in Chicago at the turn of the century also had branch offices in Winnipeg hmm. uh, because uh, of the great break bulk, the railways, the two railways that went west that funded, you know, the, the Yukon gold rush, the California gold rush came through Winnipeg. And so in all these great warehouse buildings, but in the sixties and seventies, when our, our market was not good, they never got demolished like they did in Chicago and Milwaukee and all the other places that had them. They never got demolished. And then of course, uh, hysterical associations uh, wanted to preserve them and they got preserved. So we have the greatest collection of Chicago loft architecture for that reason. For the reason is the economy uh, slowed down dramatically after the war. Oh, it's very interesting. I'll, I'll have to do a tour next time in Winnipeg to, to see How that. How many times? 
Today's a nice day. Tomorrow isn't, but today's a nice day. <laughs> uh, I saw a couple of comments uh, from uh, Ron uh, from Texas. Ron, thanks for joining in. And also from uh, Diamond Queen 2020, uh, who is new here. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, glad you guys are in. If you have any questions for Sandy, please feel free to put those in the chat. And Wyatt, I did see a question come up from Neil, a follow-up question, if you don't mind pulling yeah. that up. Uh, is an industrial property more valuable when it is visible from a major highway because more people can see the name on the side of the building? The quick answer is yes, it is. People can see it. It's, uh, you know, you can't advertise. You can't afford to advertise. Uh, you know, you're looking for employees. You're, you know, you people want to know where the building is. And we find that uh, good visibility and where people can see the access and understand the access and they have opportunities for signage, we think it's valuable. We don't, we, we don't know how valuable, but we think it's valuable. Mm -hmm. uh, on, on the point I wanted to get your thoughts on with cap rates, and you mentioned that cap rates, there's that compression. In some cases, in my market as well, there's a portfolio that that's rumored to have just sold in the in the low four cap range. So that we're seeing a lot of that downward pressure on high quality industrial space. What happens if we do see some increases in interest rates in 2022, presumably, or, or maybe it's pushed into 2023 before it's noticeable? What happens when that spread lessens between cap rates and interest rates? Well, I think initially the people that got the best assets have opportunities to increase rents because mm -hmm. that inflationary uh, pressure will probably allow them to raise the rents at least enough to get even with uh, that compression uh, and higher interest rates. Uh, on the poor assets, uh, the, there's, there's some risk. There is some risk. But I don't see today, lenders don't take any ch any chances anymore. They don't really bank anyone. So if they're at 60 or 70% loan to value, they got a lot of head, you know, a lot of room ahead of them before they lose their money. Mm -hmm. You may lose some equity and, uh, you know, your 8% return may be, may be four, but that doesn't usually make people go broke. Mm -hmm. As long as they can hold on to the asset or sell the assets. So I, I don't see a bloodbath or I wouldn't be on your uh, podcast. I'd be with Stuart Barney and then have to wear a tie. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't see it. Uh, certainly not, not in, as far out as I can see. Do you, do you see any interest rate increases? There's a lot of chatter yeah. that we, we yeah, should. I think there has to be because uh, inflation, uh, is is high and i don't think it's i don't think it's temporary in any way uh so we have to see i guess uh increase in uh, uh interest rates maybe a couple of hundred basis points but again you know we just did a sub three loan for seven years on a that industrial building the very same one that you were talking mm -hmm. about earlier uh, what does a 200 basis point uh, increase do to us? It lowers our yield quite a bit, but we still got a new building accessible to the highway to our to our friend that asked uh, with all kinds of great and uh, dock doors. Uh, 
I don't think we're going to, and I don't think the tenants that we have put in it are going to go out of business. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, a huge, you know, four or 500 basis points will only leave opportunities for us to buy for those that got too leveraged. And like you said, there's a lot of money on the sidelines right now that are just waiting for an opportunity to deploy it. Well, I'm glad that I haven't been to uh, out with friends for two years <laughs> because every dentist and every doctor and every whatever is always looking to place money. And uh, we don't really have anything for them. You know, we, we just don't have anything. Uh, there isn't places I'd I'd want to put my money if I was, you know, drilling, filling, and billing all day. <laughs> That's the dentist model right there. Yeah. So what what scares you in this market right now? What's what are some potential headwinds that you're following that that could you? I think um, um, woke woke uh, city administrations certainly. <laughs> the time it takes to get any approvals that uh, that's a problem. And it's a problem that I don't think we can afford. Uh, certainly the interest rate uncertainty is a headwind in itself. Mm -hmm. Just people are, might be afraid. And the labor situation, what is going to happen with labor? As I said, jobs go to the people. And you could have the nicest industrial building in Edmonton or Winnipeg or Vancouver or wherever people are listening to this podcast. If there's nobody to work in it, people people can't use it. I, I was talking to a guy that that runs an oil and gas company the other day, and I mean, oil and gas has been on a a roller coaster for the last seven years. Well, I guess it's actually been on a roller coaster since it was first discovered. Uh, but these past seven years have been Duke in forty seven. You mean? Yes, yeah. it's been in a, in a lull now for a while, although it's $90 a barrel right now, but for the past number of years, it's been tough. And, and their company was probably a good representation of oil and gas companies in general, where they've had to lay people off over the past several years. Uh, they, they had to sell equipment, they had to downsize. And now with this upswing in prices, they've got the opposite problem. They've got all this work and they can't find equipment they can't they can't buy it it's there's nothing available and they can't find employees so now they're having to pass on projects just because they don't have the the manpower and the equipment to actually do it so it's fascinating how in the, this turn of events over the last six or seven years it's gone from people being a problem that they had too many people and they had to let them go to in a very short period of time it's the opposite problem right I remember being in Edmonton with a friend of mine who owns a personal storage unit up there and, and looking at it. And it was right next to, um, a, who, who's the, is it Finning or Toramount? A big cat dealer. And I we drove around the cat dealership and it was a huge compound, just huge, 20, 30 acre, 40 acres, I don't know. And all there was is like three broken down pieces of equipment in there, which I didn't even know what they were. Hmm. I mean, obviously, royal oil and gas or some specialty equipment. They didn't have any any inventory. So it's, it's a problem. It's a problem. And I, I don't know uh, what the supply chain story is on that. 
they're making the stuff in China anyway, and it's steel, and it shouldn't be chips that hold hold up uh, production of a grader. But uh, it seems to me any excuse will do. Are, are you seeing supply chain issues in your neck of the woods right now as well, if with everything from consumer goods to yes. commercial goods? Yes. You go into a store and you see seven facings of Kool-Aid. Uh, that can't be profitable. <laughs> no. Uh, and uh, you, re- you notice it in automobiles uh, where the, the lots are empty. Uh, there, there are new, very many uh, new cars available. It's a shortage that we haven't seen since, uh, I guess, after the war. Yeah, so we've got this weird combination of labor shortages, uncertainty with interest rates, uncertainty with supply chain. It's it's such an interesting time to be involved in business because we really don't even know what next month is going to look like, let alone trying to plan something out five or ten years. We don't. But in spite of that, uh, the brokers and the fellows doing the deals here, they've never been busier. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have been a, a year-end lunch uh, that that you know we want to have with the retail team is happening this Thursday. It isn't exactly December the fifteenth, <laughs> but we, people were busy. People were doing things. Yep. So I, I do want to see if anyone has any questions uh, bef- before we wrap up. So feel free to to type them in. Uh, I, I think Sandy is willing to answer any question you can throw at him. Uh, I, I do have uh, one more on on what you'd be recommending to people right now. And and there's people perhaps listening all over the world, so it can be in in like a you know non-specific market context or it can be specific to uh to winnipeg but what what are you recommending to people right now uh to to be doing to be aware of to be conscious of to be following uh just any advice in general well, that you'd have for i people? think uh buying land a little ways out uh doesn't hurt to have some mm-hmm. uh hopefully uh you've got administrations that will allow you to build there but i think uh getting a hit on land is a good thing in all forms from uh, single family, multifamily, industrial, retail, whatever. Uh, follow the services and follow the roads because eventually you're going to be right. <laughs> uh, that's and, and get involved in quality. Uh, when you hear people talking about cap rates, uh, you know, while they're in your mouth uh, doing their jobs, you you just know they're going in the wrong place they should look at the people that made all the money in canada Uh, a lot of foreign entities did because they didn't they didn't go on the appraisal you know they they didn't go for the best highest cap rate they went for the lowest cap rate and got the quality and those with quality always won now you can have less quality no quality if you're here working at yourself and you're you know you're the general contractor and you're the leasing agent and you're the property manager you can always make a living but uh, assuming that you want to get professional management uh to do some things for you i think that you've got to stay with quality and cap rate be damned i know whoever buys that portfolio you were talking about 
they're probably not going to get in any trouble. Yeah, it's all institutional grade tenants in there. It's it's a new portfolio, yeah. so they they might their yield might be eroded a little bit, but yeah, they're they're not going to get in any trouble on that. Yeah, and so they don't have to be there to do things, uh, to make the decision to chop off a third of the building so that there can be truck courts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think quality quality works in every place in the world that I'm aware of, and yep. being on a major city. Uh, yes, uh, there's a question, is industrial property close to the airport? It's certainly better for international companies. It's not mandatory, but you'd be surprised at how many people want to come into a city, stay in an airport hotel, and do their business. So airports do, uh, any mode of transportation is better. That's almost like the uh, question of highway exposure. You know, if you can get to it, uh, there's other amenities around it, uh, both for employees, uh, you know, lunch, breakfast, lunch, dinner, etc. And there's always hotels near the airport. And that has uh, been all of our international companies, basically those that haven't drilled in on the uh, need for labor, which is mostly on the east side of Winnipeg. The, the airport has had uh, some kind of pull in some way or another. Yeah, I think it's only going to grow in popularity as well with uh, this emphasis on same-day delivery or or some cases two-hour delivery. Uh, that's just going to necessitate a lot of stuff coming by plane. And, uh, and to do that, it's going to need, you're going to need to see a lot more industrial development around these airports. But we're seeing it in my market. I'm sure it's similar in yours where you're starting to get a lot more uh, build out an inventory around these airports just to handle that. Right. And uh, now they're talking, you know, multi-tenant warehousing around the airports mm-hmm. in Vancouver, etc. Yeah, it, airport has always had an allure for industrial in all the cities that I'm thinking about. Yeah, airports and, and to your comment about just transportation, even intermodal facilities, yeah. wh- whether it's near a, a train yard uh, like that. I mean, if a guy could go back 20, 30 years, you would just figure out where the big instant, the big transportation nodes are going to be. And you'd try to assemble land around there because that that's some of the most high, high demand land there is. Yes. Uh, like Port of Long Beach, Port of Los Angeles, uh, you yep. know, there they'll, 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 um, They'll make accommodations. Maybe the truck court's too small. Maybe the site coverage is too high. But just the the sure emphasis and volume on supply chain and delivery, and you, you can't beat that. Mm-hmm. And, and the, anyone who's gotten near there has done very well. I, I, maybe we'll just finish with one question that I have. And it's a question that I've been asked myself. So I, I think someone with, with your experience and in investing developing you mean I'm old. brokerage well I, seasoned yeah. seasoned oh, okay okay <laughs> uh with your with your background uh where where do you recommend that people could go to learn more about industrial real estate what are what are some of the tools or resources that you've used in your career or continue to use to to learn about it to become an expert in it well suggest learn from brokers And by talking to a lot of brokers, you'll find the ones that care about you and ask questions and and learn from tenants. 
we tend to bypass the tenants mm -hmm. but speak to tenants if they'll speak to you say you know what what led you to this uh this site what what are the attributes i'm thinking of getting involved in industrial real estate and i want to learn as much as i can people will help you if asked you know don't trick them by you know asking them questions and not explaining your motivation people will help you mm -hmm. people will share their experience with you and so you could gather a lot of experience in a short period of time and from the standpoint that an industrial property is really only worth some function of what a tenant's willing to pay for it. Uh, you need to figure out what a tenant actually wants in a property. So that's a fantastic tip to uh, to actually ask tenants that are the ones paying the rent. Yes, your your podcast uh, would be one that I recommend to people and have. Uh, but any you know the thing about the internet, look up industrial realty uh, real estate and see what people are saying about it. Mm -hmm and also employ central place theory in other words if a city is a similar size someplace else go to that city find out what tenants are generating near airports near intermodals who wants to be visible from the highway in another city of under a million uh you know what's good in pittsburgh works in uh philadelphia Mm -hmm. What's good in Calgary works in Edmonton. Uh, all of these, you know, you can, you can central place series, basically copying what you see someplace else and modifying it, modifying it. And, uh, uh, that, that's, that's one thing I would do. Now, uh, what lot size, uh, question from Anand. Uh, for first-time buyers of industrial real estate, what type of properties, uh, like size, lot size, etc., do you recommend that is quality and also low risk? Well, uh, the the five acres and up, or else small spaces. You know that could be anything. That, you know that location is important. Uh, make sure you have ceiling height, and make sure you understand the quality of construction. And ask yourself, if you were in this business, would you want to locate here? If you're a prospective tenant looking for space, yeah. yeah. Would you would you want to locate here? What do you need? That would be that would be it. And that goes back to your point about understanding the tenant profile on 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 that. I think that's a fantastic point. I think uh, it, there's there's a lot of wisdom there in really figuring out what tenants want, and then you can partner them you can marry them together with a property that's compatible. So uh, I I think we're just about one o'clock. I do want to uh, sincerely thank you, Sandy, for taking the time and sharing your, your wisdom and expertise on that again. Uh, and I also just want to thank everybody that tuned in and uh, and commented. If you enjoyed this, please uh, hit the like button. It means a lot. And I, I think, Sandy, uh, we have your LinkedIn uh, yes. uh, link in the description or the chat. So I'd encourage everybody to reach out to, to Sandy as well and, and connect. And uh, Sandy, I'm going to keep tapping you on the shoulder periodically to, uh, to come on and, uh, and, and bend we, your ear a bit. We, we enjoy it. And uh, so thank you for having me. And thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. And uh, just keep succeeding. That's what I would say. Thank you, Sandy. Greatly thank appreciate you. your time. Thank okay. you. Take care, everybody.